Our service doesn't end after we leave the military. The mission changes, but we still find the need to be of service. What's yours? Listen in as we talk to our guests about their military careers and life after the uniform in their second service. This podcast is sponsored by Fortis et Fidelis, a brand dedicated to honoring the brave and faithful. Make sure to check out fortis-fidelis.com and support the podcast by subscribing to the show and leaving us a five-star review on all the podcast platforms. Now, let's get to the show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Brave and Faithful Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Randy Dinicio. And today, I have with me a, he's a Marine veteran. He's also the Chief Strategy Officer and the uh, President of Grunt, Grunt Style Foundation. I have another than Tim Jensen. What's going on, Tim? What's happening, brother? Pleasure to be on the show. Again, thanks for taking the time, man. Uh, yeah, so you know, before we get started with, you know, what you're doing now with Grant Style and 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 all that stuff with the foundation, uh, just share with our audience a little bit about your uh, military background. I mentioned you were a Marine Corps veteran. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know what? What one thing Marines love to do is talk about their time in the Marine Corps. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I will do that proudly. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I joined the Marine Corps in 1997, a little longer in the tooth. Um, and I uh, was uh, my original MOS was a second assault or an Amtracker, so I ended up with second assault amphibian battalion out at the old armpit of the universe courthouse bay, North Carolina, Camp oh, Lejeune. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's god awful. And I was just there not too long ago, and it hasn't changed in over 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I digress. Um, you know, I, I served uh, four years uh, in, in Lejeune, uh, you know, in, in between, between uh, Camp Pendleton. Uh, and I really, enjoy, you know, I really enjoyed the, uh, the experience. However, I was a terrible garrison Marine. Mm. Um, you know, and it, the same thing over and over every day was not, uh, was not my jam. <laughs> yeah. So I got out uh, after my first enlistment, April 2001, and um, went back to Chicago. And you know, was living with my aunt. Uh, she was my godmother at the time. And um, you know, tried to find a job. You know, looking around, I end up in some union carpentry. Um, and then you know, working downtown, uh, doing a job uh, as a, a helper. It was the most worst job I've ever had in my entire life. Where you're just fetching things all day for for everybody else. God, it was terrible. And <laughs> then the uh, you know, nine eleven happened, and that changed everything. Um, that's the moment in, in, in time that really hit me that, you know, as much as I hated what I did in, uh, in, in the track battalion, um, you know, I wasn't a Marine any longer and it looked like we were going to war. Right. So, you know, uh, by that time I, you know, it was a couple months later, I started pursuing, uh, getting back into the Marines and ended up at the, uh, uh, INI station out of Chicago, uh, learned that they were being spun up for deployment. And I said, Hey, I want to be on that deployment and um, transferred over from the INI to the actual reserve battalion under one condition. Uh, their MTO did not allow for Amtraks or non-infantry uh, uh, MOSs um, you know, to be a part of the battalion. And uh, I had to you know, OJT uh, into a uh, 0311 rifleman uh, MOS. So I spent some time doing that. And then we deployed to Iraq uh, 2004. Uh, which was an incredible experience. Uh, it was in the Triangle of Death, about 60 miles southwest of Baghdad. Uh, we controlled a 30-click by 30-click area, one of the very first reserve battalions of the conflict to have our own area of operations. Uh, and I was part of 2nd Battalion, 24th Marine. So all of you jarheads oh, out wow. there that yeah. uh, know the, the history of that battalion, it's a prestigious battalion. It was on Iwo Jima. Uh, their colonel, uh, the commander of that battalion at the time, was a Medal of Honor recipient. Uh, involved in the raising of the flag, you know, the whole nine, like it's a, it's a very prestigious unit. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I think our battalion lived up to those expectations. You know, the work that we did in Iraq, uh, supporting Phantom Fury, 
uh, fighting in Yusufia, fighting in Latafia, Ludafia, all the Fias, man, it was crazy. <laughs> but um, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, that's 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 the part that the, the Marine Corps really, I, I have to say, I enjoyed the most was actually doing our job and, and being in combat and trading rounds with the enemy. Um, it was a, a definitely an experience and definitely something that, you know, I learned a lot more about myself that uh, I truly wanted to know. And, you know, and uh, uh, lost a lot of my good friends. Um, but, you know, here we are 20, 17 years later, and now my son's joining the Navy and he leaves next month. So it's like, uh, oh, wow. himself. <laughs> what, uh, what, uh, uh, what job or rate is he doing in the Navy? Sure. So, uh, you know, when he first joined or when he was first he had aspirations of joining the military, you know, he said, dad, I think I want to be a Marine. And he's like, ah, yeah. You've said this in your entire life, you know, blah, blah. I don't know if it's because of you know, my experience isn't to you. Um, but, you know, let me ask you one question. Are you capable of uh, shooting another man in the face? And, you know, and that was a real direct question. And <clears throat> kind of sent him back a little bit. And, you know, he came back and said, you know, I think I want to join the Navy. Uh, ended up doing that and got the rate of uh, gunner's mate. Oh, okay. And, uh, will be, you know, he's got six years of um, uh, sea cadets under his belt, so he'll be graduating boot camp as an E3. Nice. By the time his first enlistment, that little prick's going to have more rate, rate than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started the same. Start from the bottom, E1. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited about it. <clears throat> yeah, so you mentioned uh, the H uh, Triangle of Death, the Huseba Karabala area, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you have the uh, Yusufia, Mamadia, uh, Ludafia, Latafia areas. So what uh, what we did there, um, our, our, our mission was to keep ASR Tampa open from uh, checkpoint, 22, uh, checkpoint 20 Alpha down all the way to Cal Sioux, right? That was primary mission. Secondary mission was to keep the ASR Jackson uh, open from Baghdad all the way down to Iskandaria. Uh, and then, you know, that mission augmented um, to, you know, doing these zip code offensives after, um, you know, the fall of, of the IP police station in Yusufia from the unit that was in front of us. Uh, so our, our missions trans, uh, you know, shifted a little bit to where then the battalion broke up into, you know, our companies and uh, the companies were all given uh, areas of their own. Uh, AOs, uh, yeah. AOs, right? You know, so Fox Company had Yusufia, Golf Company had Checkpoint 20, uh, I think it's 24 Alpha. Um, you know, you had all the line companies. I was a weapons company Marine. Uh, and what they did uh, with all the the fit, uh, like the the fifty ones, the thirty ones, you know, uh, the riflemen, they turned us into t cat teams, right? And then gave right, us a, yeah. you know, a special mission called Mist. Uh, I think it was the first, really, the first iterations of of what happened later, you know, throughout the conflicts of Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, but uh, we called ourselves mobile secure, uh, mobile strike teams. And um, you know what we were doing was. Um, the line companies would go out, do all the, the, the work, collect the intelligence, pass it up to the head teams, blah, 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 blah. All the action gets processed and then it comes down, uh, you know, to us in the strike teams and we would go do uh, cordons, we do hits, uh, a lot of HVT missions in, you know, the middle of the night, 3 a.m. missions. Uh, it was a very interesting job and, you know, we're, we're running alongside some of the coolest, you know, uh, you know three-letter agencies and, you know, SO, uh, special forces guys. And, you know, here we are, just a bunch of reserve Marines are like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like, there's some <laughs> guys over there, you know, yeah. and go, going to pick up Force Recon guys from Cal Sioux and dropping them in a fucking hit, you know, and doing stuff over there. It was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, very uh, eye-opening experience, um, you know, and, you know, it's and it's kind of interesting now to, to, to see, to see the, the boy having, my son having aspirations of that and wanting to, you know, continue in those footsteps, even though watching his father, you know, the last 17 years of his life, uh, 17 years of his life struggle with all the things that came home with me and you know and i think that speaks to the spirit of what the idea of being american truly is is that you know for those that truly care about this country you know they're going to find a way to 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 provide a service uh or or be of service to it yeah i think speaks highly of your son as far as like him wanting to serve right and like the value of serving serving others and uh like you mentioned, even though you, you, the things that you struggle with during those, after those, that deployment, um, it's still, he still aspired to, 
yeah. to give back to the country, right? So kudos well, to your son, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. He's a good boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like, so you had you had left the, the Marine Corps, but came back after 9-11. And then, you know, you served and, and did your time and uh, during deployments and things like that. So what what was next after that, after you came back from the deployment? Uh, did you, were you uh, planning to get out again and like transition back to the civilian world? Like, what? tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what, uh, what, what was happening at the time was, uh, you know, we got back, we did our, all of our transition and, you know, reservists out of Chicago. Uh, and we had, you know, some air, uh, Broken Arrow Marines from uh, Oklahoma and some other areas. And we all went our different ways, right? Uh, and that's, you know, uh, kind of kind of way the reserve thing goes. You're activated and you're deactivated, right? right. I've never experienced that. I was like, wow, kind of, kind of cool. I could do this forever, <laughs> right? And I, that's what I was hoping to do until I found out like the next the next uh, deployment was going to be a FOB security. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? We're for like we're combat Marines, man. Right. We're like we're like direct, you know. And uh, we're not FOB security, so um, I, I I chose to to get out, and I didn't I didn't want to participate in that, and uh, you know because that's that's just trouble waiting to happen. Yeah. You know, Marines sitting on a base for seven months with nothing to do. Well, they'll always find a thing or a way to get in trouble and things to do. Uh, and that's, you know, kind of what happened. So, um, but, I, you know, so I, I got out, uh, stayed in the carpentry for a little while. I did that job till uh, it's probably, I was in it in total about eight, eight and a half years. Okay. And uh, got out because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't being challenged. I think, you know, the, the more and more I think about it these days is I wasn't being challenged enough. Uh, I didn't like having to carry the weight of other people in a in a, uh, a purely uh, footage driven game. Meaning that you know every day I came into work, there was a certain amount of footage I had to hit, or you know I wouldn't. You know, it would be a bad day, right? Um, you know, and, and I didn't like working like that. So uh, I ended up getting out using my college uh, post nine eleven GI Bill, and um, you know sent myself to school. Uh, graduated cum laude with a bachelor's degree in game theory game design and um, never used it <laughs> but you know i truly i truly i, I use it now because I'm, I'm i'm doing some side stuff to where you know it's kind of just farting around building stuff uh but you know i but i think that the, what i got out of the whole college experience was you know um a different way of thinking about stuff, um, you know, and I don't think that I was ready for college when I graduated high school. Yeah. I think the Marine Corps is really what I needed because, you know, had had I not, I probably would have been in jail. I probably would have led a, you know, because I wasn't, I wasn't living a very good life before I joined the Marine Corps. Um, and I know that to be certain, <laughs> right? I, I, had a, I had a lot of great environments, but I, I always was making the most poor decisions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel the same way, like, uh, I went to a semester of college after high school and I was like, God, that I knew right, right away that wasn't for me at that time. So I, I joined the military. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, and I think, again, like, you know, learning all those, uh, those characteristics, you know, in the Marine Corps, JJ Tabuckle, you learn all those characteristics, those values, right. Yeah. It's printed on our red card, honor, courage, commitment, which I still have, you know, uh, from, from the time I graduated Marine Corps boot camp, And, you know, I don't want to say that the Marine Corps has made, you know, it's like so much of, of my life that it's, I live, breathe that stuff, but I think it certainly has, you know, um, shaped the way that I approach things yeah. not once, but two, twice in my lifetime, you know, going to boot camp, and then, you know, so the trials of combat. Um, and, you know, those, I think those two things really, you know, shaped a lot of, of, the, of the thinking. And, I, and it was really good to get to college after all of those experiences and have a different perspective. Because I will tell you some of the things that was a challenge for me. And yeah, and I, I did ruffle some feathers and make some waves in, in, in the classroom. You know, it was like listening to uh, my sociology teacher uh, or professor talked to me about things and I'm like, well, I don't know about that. You might be able to get that over on these 19, 18 year old kids, but I'm a 31 year old man <laughs> that has seen the most worst of people. I just don't believe what you're saying has got any fact to it. Right. You know, right. and same thing with, um, you know, uh, a world, you know, world study. I forget what, what the, the class was humanities or something. Um, but he was talking to me about talking to the classes about Marxism, 
right? And I, and you know, this, that, and the other. I'm like, he's like, not, not necessarily, he was talking about it in a very romantic way, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the hell? What are we talking about here? And I <laughs> my hand, like, you do know uh, Marxism uh, has pretty much killed over 80 million people uh, in, in the last hundred years, <laughs> right? Are we talking about the same Marxism? Uh, and then he later on to, to dress me down in front of the entire class saying that my ideals and my beliefs are more suited for the Republic of Iran than the, than the United States of America. So, you know, it was enlightening to see what is, is being taught in, in the world around us. Uh, but, I, you know, again, I'm not taking any type of position here. It's just, you know, a very interesting right. you know, time in my life to say, wow, like, you know, the, 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 the you know, how would I, how would Tim would have approached that as a 19 year old, you know, versus a 31 year old that has seen the world in, in a different perspective. So, you know, that's kind of a, you know, weird, weird path, but you know, I got, I got through the whole college the whole college thing. Um, and then, you know, uh, during that, I was an artist, you know, kind of keeping myself afloat uh, and, and paying for bills. Cause I, I did have, cho- I did have children. I was divorced. I was, you know, living in, uh, in, in uh, I was living in a bad place, right? You're was, in Chicago at the time, right? I was in Chicago, yeah. Okay. And, you know, that time period, I was really struggling with, uh, you know, some of my uh, demons that I've you know, been carrying with me and, you know, lost my marriage, lost my family, um, a lot of poor decisions, a lot of, you know, uh, drugs, alcohol, you know, and things I wasn't really proud about, um, you know, but uh, I think, you know, I look back at it now, I'm like, Ooh, man, it was a tough period in life, and right. I'm glad I made it out of it. And I'm, I'm, I've got a, an incredible wife that you know got me through all that stuff. Um, as, as coming through the tail end, and still to this day, um, you know, and my children, you know, and and it's been, you know, it's been a tough road. But you know, I found uh, with all that, you know, I was still trying to create stuff and 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 really find an outlet for you know getting stuff out of my head, and. Um, you know, had a an art studio and was creating comic books. I was a C2E2 uh, comic artist, you know, on Artist Alley, you know, Hawking Comics. You know, my first comic book at Wizard uh, was rated um, uh, 2010 Wizard World uh, Independent Comic, great independent comic. Uh, it was pretty cool. You know, so I was doing a lot of that stuff, but it wasn't paying the bills and uh, I needed to get a real job. And started looking around, and that's when I found Grunt Style. Applied for a graphic designer position. It's still, you know, argued back. You know, <laughs> that I applied for. I believe I applied for the gra- uh, graphic design position, um, and was turned down. And then, and then ended up getting a job folding T-shirts at the company. Uh, and from there, you know, that was the kind of the beginning. You know, I saw a wide open field uh, of opportunity in front of me. Uh, it was, you know, afforded uh, afforded that by, you know, coming in to, to you know, really show my worth. And, you know, came in and kicked ass, you know, started full t-shirts, became a press operator, lead press operator, production manager, um, operations manager, chief operating officer, president, partner, co-owner, all. Yeah. So you've kind of like grown up the ranks basically. So like, tell us, can you share with our audience from the beginning, like, uh, you know, when Grunstyle started and when, when did you come in, uh, to the picture of of the company? And, uh, you know, you mentioned that you didn't get that, the position that you applied for initially, but then was hired to do another thing. Uh, explain to us why you accepted that position, even though you weren't accepted to the one that you applied. Sure, for. sure. Uh, so the it, the company was founded in November 2009 by former drill sergeant uh, in the Army, Daniel Alaric. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, grew, it's grown into this incredibly large uh, operation than what it is today. I think when I came on, I was around five or six uh, of uh, number of employees at the time um, within the company. And uh, it was a really tight, small, cool crew, man. It was like, you know, the very beginnings, we're all operating on this very small office space and, you know, sitting on top of each other, pressing shirts. And, you know, if we did 100 shirts in a day, it was like, my God, let's go to the bar and party, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, to answer your question on why I took the job, uh, that's a great question. You know, during that time period, I was, I was looking for something. You know, I applied for all the game design studios in Chicago, and there's a lot of them, right? But a lot of video game designers uh, make their home there. Um, I didn't get anything. I mean, there's a tight, it was a very tight uh, industry at the time, and still is to this point. Uh, and to say, and, and to be completely honest, I didn't think that my art was up to up to the qualifications um, of, of of you know game design at that time period, right? Um, so, 
you know, uh, just being honest with myself. I could do that now looking in retrospect, <laughs> but, you know, uh, and I was looking, I was looking, I was getting down to the point where I'm putting applications at Toys R Us to work on their docks, right? And this is before Toys R Us went bankrupt. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I was getting told by those individuals, I'm overqualified. I'm like, man, I just need something. Um, so when I you know, was driving home after that uh, interview at Grunstyle, uh, I got a, a phone call from the founder and you know, he's like, there's something about you that, um, you know, I know you applied for this job and, uh, but you didn't get it, but you know, uh, I, I would like you on the team. And, uh, I was like, okay, what do you got? He's like full t-shirts. I'm like, okay, sounds good. Never. I don't even think anybody asked for how much I was getting paid. Uh, I think I asked what, when do I start? Mm. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, that, that next Monday and. You know, from there, it was it was off to the races. And one thing I would say, I don't think I've ever I've ever thinking about it. <laughs> I don't think I've ever looked at a paycheck that I've ever gotten from Grunstyle mm. from the time I've started to where I am today. Um, and I would say mostly it's because of the environment, right? It's been a place of passion. It's a, it's a place, you know, that uh, we're changing lives and you know, impacting a community and really making some uh, some cool waves and some innovative ideas and in the way that we you know approach business and the way that we talk to our audience and you know, the way that we, the way that we interact and put on parties. Want to support an active duty owned brand? Head over to Fortis-Fidelis.com. Again, that's Fortis-Fidelis.com. And help us in honoring the brave and faithful service of our nation's defenders. All proceeds will help us create and provide memorial coins to the families of our fallen service members. Again, that's Fortis-Fidelis.com and help Fortis Fidelis in honoring the brave and faithful. So you mentioned um, you never really looked at the paycheck and uh, you said it was a place of passion, right? Um, was that why you initially, you know, said yes without kind of question? Did you find something in the beginning, like, hey, this could be, yeah. this could be something? Yeah, I think you're, I think yeah, you, you you nailed it, right? When I walked into that office space, and it was a small place, dude. It was right next to a methadone clinic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so like that's what I'm talking about. Uh, from the very beginning, like this has been this has been like irony after irony after irony. Um, but, you know, a methadone clinic right there. Right. And uh, you got junkies, uh, you know, try, trying to get themselves better. I'm not I'm not, you know, cracking on anybody, um, you know, but I'm walking in. And but the minute I walked into that door into that grunt style space, right, I met by this um, uh, blonde blonde lady at the time that was working the fulfillment and reception at the same time. So she was filling orders and greeting people at the same time. And um and I, from that moment, I knew that this was the place that I wanted to work, right? I felt it. In, you ever walk into a space and that space just captures captures you? Yeah. Like, like there's something about it. Like, man, I just feel really comfortable here. I feel really good about this. Like, it's, it's throwing some good vibes at me. And that's how I felt. And, you know, I, I, and at that moment in time, you know, man, I, brother, I, I thought I had that job in the bag. Like, I... You know, there. What I knew, what I could bring to the table as a designer for what the need was, I was like, man, I got this. So I'm walking in head high, shoulders <laughs> back. I'm, you know, maybe a little arrogant, uh, but you know, I walk in and I control the room and I, I control the interview, right? As as, as I thought I, I knew how, uh, but it didn't go my way, right? And I was heartbroken. I was like, for the first time, that was the first time I will tell you in my life that I was told no, <laughs> right? uh from from a from a job perspective right um but you know it's like wow that was a that was a like a kick in the shorts for me and um you know so but when i received the call i was like what the hell does he want he just told me no when he called me right so i was reluctant yeah. to pick up the phone i'm glad i did because had i not picked up that phone you know i wonder what life would be for mr tim jensen today yeah, so you did pick up that phone, right? And then, uh, you know, like you mentioned, uh, you started initially folding T-shirts and then uh, basically started working your way up. How, from that time that you initially started to now, how has that experience been? And what what are some of been the challenges that you face within the company, within Grand Stadium? I know, 
Well, you know, I think some of the biggest challenges that, you know, we've experienced uh, over the years is just growth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you having to manage growth in so many different factors, so many different ways from finance to labor, to culture, to supply chain, to logistics, uh, to all these different mechanisms that, that make your business, right? And we're not talking about a, a, an overly complicated or complex, or complex rather. We're not talking about a complex business or a t-shirt company. At the time period, that's all we were doing. T-shirts, right. hoodies, maybe a couple other small ancillary things. But it wasn't, I mean, we're talking less, less than 100 SKUs, right? These are completely manageable. Um, today, here we are. I've got three, 4,000 SKUs. 500 employees, managing two states, managing a brand, managing all these different aspects on a much more global level, right? That is, you know, and here, here, nine years ago, my friend, I didn't know anything about business. You would ask me to produce a profit margin. I'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's it's like you, uh, you know, you kind of learn as you go, right? Nobody knows what they're initially what they're getting into what they're doing in the beginning yeah, but then yeah and, and you're right it's a, it was a lot of trial by failure you know yeah. um you know and it's and that's the biggest secret here guys uh, for anybody that's listening right if for those of people that are successful i trust me when i say you uh, to you that uh, they have more failures than they have success right yeah. the success that they have <laughs> is because they failed a thousand more times than the one time that they actually made it work um and and i could say that because i've experienced it you know this you know what we've done and what we've been able to build here uh is is a product of a lot of failure um and it's a lot of learning and you know it and largely you know uh up until 70 80 million dollars it was myself and, and the founder really, you know, strategizing and thinking and, 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 and building, you know, stacking these blocks and building these things. And we had no understanding of any of that. Like Dan goes around, you know, and tells people in the speeches all the time that he, he Googled what is business. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, incredible story. So, you know, that's, that's what it is. It's like, you know, just don't be afraid to try things, right? There's there's risk, there's being risk adverse, right? But then there's innovation, right? Trying things that you just don't know what the outcome is going to be. You, you have an idea what it possibly could be. It's a concept, right? But unless you try it, you're never going to know, right? Uh, so, you know, that's how we built the business uh, is trying things that we didn't know. Uh, for instance, I'll give you a great example. Uh, we, the business didn't start off as a screen printing business. The business started off on uh, plastisol thermal heat transfers. So essentially what you have is a piece of paper, a thermal piece of paper. And on that piece of paper is a thin layer of plastisol that's baked on top of it, right? Um, that uh, is what you then flip over, put on the shirt, drop a, a iron of 350 degrees or higher right. for 30 seconds and that plastisol then bakes into the cotton or whatever product uh, that you're adhering it to so you know that's how we started the business the founder came up to me uh at one time uh and said hey what do you know about screen printing i'm like mm, i know andy warhol made it famous in the 60s and there's t-shirts i don't know He's like, well, uh, I just bought a automatic screen printer and uh, you're going to need to learn how to operate that because it arrives in two weeks. I was like, what? Oh, my God. Yeah, so, when you talk about growth, that's what you're talking about. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that, that, that growth right there, you know, took us from, you know, doing 100 shirts a, a, a day, really. Well, we had a crew at that point, so we're doing more like 1,000 shirts a day. Um, we went from doing 1,000 shirts a day to 1,000 shirts an hour. Okay, so that exploded business with opportunity, right. demand, so on, and meeting meeting the demand. More importantly, um, so you know during that time period of two weeks, you know I I was given a mission, I was given a purpose, and I consumed every bit of knowledge that I could get my stinky little sausages on to to learn about screen printing. And when that sh- machine landed, I was familiar enough to be dangerous. And dangerous I was. We set the place on fire. We've done a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. It was all things that we that we were learning 
um, you know, to become what we are today. And, you know, when I look at our operation today, it's, uh, you know, in my opinion, one of the finest screen printing organizations uh, in the United States, we have a, um, uh, an error rate of less than 0.001% on parts per million. So we're a Sigma company of, of, you know, if not a six Sigma, if we were to get rated, I would say. Uh, so we are, we are extremely, extremely efficient and, and, and very smart about the way that we uh, produce garments and of the screen printing variety these days. And that wouldn't, we never would have been able to get there had we not set the building on fire or, you know, uh, <laughs> done all these other different crazy things that we did. But, you know, that's, that's part of growing a business is taking chances and, you know, really having fun uh, while you're doing it. Yeah. So Tim, you mentioned, uh, you know, you're one of the five or six original uh, members of, of Grunt Style, right? And then now you, uh, you know, now you manage about 500 or so employees in two different states. Um, what would you say, like, since you've, you've been a part of this uh, company and this brand, what would you say has been the most rewarding moment or experience you've had so far? Hmm. Man, there's been a few. There really has, you know. Um, you know, I, one of the one of those moments was uh, during Hurricane Harvey. I'll give you a few because there's there's really a bunch here that I have to share. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Hurricane Harvey, uh, what I think was something very unique and something very special that we did. Um, we saw what uh, had happened to Houston, the outer met, uh, the outer metro area. Uh, and the devastation that had occurred there from the hurricane. Um, so, you know, Grunstall reacted in the way the, the way that we react, right? We mobilized, we, we put our, our uh, mouth where our money uh, was or vice versa. And um, we got uh, two trucks full of 18 tons of uh, equipment, food and other things that uh, are required for families. And we drove it down to Houston. Uh, then uh, we uh, pulled people out of houses down there, um, you know, navigating boats, you know, keeping houses safe, you know, providing security. Uh, you know, all that was being led by the founder. It was incredible. Um, and then we went to a town called Rockport, rebuilt that whole town, invested $250,000 in rebuilding their children's center. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a, the centerpiece of that town where everybody would go after school. And, you know, we, we spent three months there. A lot of my time was spent there uh, rebuilding that place. Uh, it was actually quite fantastic. Um, you know, something else that we did, you know, back in 2013, one of the very first events that, I, that we did and I participated with our grunt style was during the sequestration when the government shut down all the museums in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, we were part of mobilizing 15,000 veterans to descend upon the Capitol. And uh, we removed all those barriers. We, you know, a lot of those, you know, uh, honor flight World War II veterans are coming to see the World War II memorial that was on this one year anniversary. Uh, so we, we made that happen for those uh, gentlemen and gals. And uh, we carried all those, those uh, barriers to the White House and threw them over the fence of the White House lawn. Mm -hmm. And the next day they opened up all the, bar uh, the monuments and you know, they, they didn't do that anymore. Uh, and then, you know, lastly, what we're doing now, uh, I think we're on the eve of passing some historic legislation uh, with toxic exposure and burn pits that have been killing thousands of our brothers and sisters over the last 20 years. And, um, you know, I've been working alongside some incredible, incredible people like Rosie Torres and John Stewart, um, you know, getting this bill to where it is, which, you know, for a long time, people didn't think was going to happen. And, um, you know, for many reasons. Uh, but here we are today, uh, and it looks like that's going to become law. And it's going to change the lives of three and a half million veterans across the United States that participated in the global war on terrorism. And Vietnam and the Marines that were poisoned at Camp Lejeune during the late 80s. Uh, and a, a whole bunch of other things. And it's, it's quite fantastic. It's quite incredible. And this is why the brand exists, is to make sure that you know, we are giving back to our community in ways um, that transcends you know, a transaction or if it's a brand piece. We're actually making things better for our community and for the future warfighter that never has to deal with their, you know, my, my entire command is dead, <laughs> right? You know, uh, my, my, my CEO, my XO, uh, my best friend, you know, all died from toxic exposure. And I know a few other guys in my unit that are dying right now. It's like, 
what is going on? This is didn't we learn this from Vietnam, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah. So, um, Tim, you know, I mentioned in the beginning, you're the president of the foundation, the Grunt Style Foundation. Uh, can you just share with our audience a little bit about you know what you guys are doing with that and how that is helping, uh, you know, not just the military veteran community but people in general. Right, right. No, I think uh, I think the foundation is a great uh, opportunity here, right? And you're, you're, what you're starting to see is a lot of these veteran brands, you know, that have been around a long time, uh, are, are starting to, to create their own foundations, right? You, know, you have Black Rifle Coffee Company that's created the BRCC Fund. You have Nine Line and the Nine Line Foundation. You have Grunstyle and the Grunstyle Foundation, and they're all doing great things within the community. Uh, where Grunstyle Foundation uh, is uh, putting its attention into is but there's a few areas we call them our four pillars, uh, which is mental health and wellness, veteran sustainment and security. Uh, I'm sorry, veteran sustainment and transition, food insecurities, and veteran homelessness. Now, you can't address any veteran homelessness until you swim all the way upstream and start tackling some of the areas before they become homeless, right? That's we all know that. Um, you know, but what what are the programs and what are the things that you're getting involved in that really make those uh, those impacts, right? You know, so with our work that we've been doing with the toxic exposure and burn pits, we understand that there's a great need for alternative modalities of healing uh, for individuals. Uh, so we have a, a hyperbaric oxygen chamber uh, program uh, that we are giving out to 12 veterans this year. We have already distributed five of them, uh, and we have um, you know seven more to go for for the remainder of the year. And, um, you know, what we're doing, what the oxygen chambers are doing, um, there's great science that's coming back uh, just recently on the CTE, uh, NFL players uh, that are suffering traumatic brain injuries, uh, which is called CTE in that area. Um, they're, they're finding uh, gray matter regeneration, they're finding new synapses that are happening in the brain um, due to this oxygen-rich pressurized environment. Uh, so that's quite fantastic and is very, very closely related to the concussions and percussions uh, of veterans exposed to IEDs and explosions at very near distances. Uh, so, you know, we're very proud of that program and getting that into uh, as many hands as possible. This year it'll be 12. Next year, I'm hoping it'll be 100. I hope maybe even 1,000. Mm -hmm. You know, it all depends on how, how, uh, how we can connect with individuals to really grow that program. Uh, and then we have uh, deployments that what we're doing with the foundation uh, in which we are identifying socioeconomic areas that are really difficult for the veteran, uh, for the active duty and reserve members uh, and National Guardsmen uh, for their families to, to really survive, right? Would you believe that 30%, nearly 30% of active duty forces with a family of three or more are on food stamps? Wow. Yeah. You, your reaction is the same reaction I said that to everybody, right? It's the same reaction. Like, why are our military members having to worry about putting food on their table? The only thing that they should be worried about is putting rounds on the foreheads of our enemy. That is it, right? And, you know, so what we, so in the meantime, we need to do something about this. We need to make a difference. Uh, so what we are doing is we partnered with organizations across the United States, uh, to bring food uh, to these areas. Uh, we are bringing uh, commodities and um, you know, everyday items for a, a family of four with the idea of putting you know, $500 back into the family and with you know, giving them all the needs that they would need for 30 days. That's food, that's toiletries, that's you know, uh, sundries, all the things that a household of four needs to survive for one month. Let's give that to them and make sure that they can take that cash and then reappropriate it uh, to other areas. Because what I remember as a young, uh, young Marine is my best friend at the time, you know, uh, him and his wife, new baby. He was a Lance Corporal. He couldn't survive. Why is he having to worry about that? Yeah. I mean, there's, there should be organizations helping them out. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think the military can do better, right? Yeah. You know, you know, we we you know the military has always got these lame ass you know uh, cola increases that do nothing, right? The, the cola increase this year is three and a half percent on a eight and a half percent inflation rate. You know, so the they've actually the, the government's robbing, <laughs> it's robbing the military, right, and the military member. So I mean, you know, so we need to we we need to find unique ways of doing that. So is our problem going to solve this solution? No. Right. So there, what is the we have to solve the problem? Um, and, you know, 
there, I think, is a, is a bigger road to climb, but I, I think there is a way forward, right? I think that there are ways that, you know, if you were a, uh, a military member with a family, right, and you're on some sort of food stamp, you know, I'm not, not, I'm not arguing for, you know, more uh, monies, you know, to give away uh, just because you're incentivized, not to incentivize marriage or anything like that, or children, right? But there are programs and schools and extra and edu extra education that the, the the military member can participate in which would then give the family more uh opportunity right you know send send the guy to an admin you know some send them to a school of some sort right and then if you if you graduate from that school you get an extra five hundred dollars uh on your paycheck or whatever the case may be if you're if you're a married member right so that's things to think about and there are things that come along with that too so you know nothing comes like they say in the government nothing comes for free so yeah you know, if you're getting that that extra allotment you know you could probably say well if i got my wings i'm going to be the first one to be deployed right <laughs> so well, you uh you know you mentioned uh benefits and things like that i know in the navy um like if you enlist, they're giving out. Uh, I think it was like twenty five thousand. Yeah. Uh, bonus. yeah my son, my son just got a big day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like it's certain if you hit like you know if you pass the purity or whatever, there's a couple of thousand. Um, and I, I have seen that recently, like as far as like. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a whole argument there, right? You know, listen, you know the the biggest thing that I've heard uh, over the last three years of of being up in Washington D.C. and and having to listen and talk to and, and you know, work with these senators and, and uh, representatives, which are all evil, all evil, <laughs> uh, is that, uh, man, like they, they, it's, 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 it's tough. It's horse trading, right? And, you know, we have to, we have to find a way. We have to find a way. Yeah. Like, uh, it's, it, we could spend seven hundred and what seven hundred fifty billion dollars on military on the military budget on the defense the budget. We can't spend two hundred million dollars two hundred billion dollars on uh, you know uh, toxic exposure and things that are actually going to save people's lives. But we can spend seven hundred fifty billion dollars on taking other people's lives across the globe. I just don't get it, right? And we can't pay our military members enough to keep their families nurtured and, you know, well-fed, what are we doing? <laughs> like, yeah. come on, this is, this is not like, we're not even meeting Maslow's hierarchy of needs here. <laughs> that could be another full-blown two, three hours of, of talk that we can go Certainly. to. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Tim, you know, before we go to the second segment of the podcast here, uh, what's one thing you want our viewers or our listeners to take away from this episode? Uh, you know, I think the one thing that I would say everybody should understand is that if I can do this, anybody can do this. I'm telling you, there's nothing special about Tim Jensen, right? It's the only thing that, that, uh, that I have that I would say others just choose not to participate in is a little bit of discipline and a little bit of grit. Everybody has those two characteristics. It's just how much are you willing to grab and reach down and get it, right? That's the, that's what makes the difference, you know. So don't uh, don't ever talk yourself out of saying I can't do this or I don't have the qualifications or I'm not I'm not qualified. <laughs> if you can do anything you want. Nobody's qualified in the bigot to begin with. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. You start from somewhere. Exactly. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm an executive that runs a 130, $150 billion brand. And I look at other businesses and other people that are of the same caliber. Right. And I look at them and they look at me and we all don't know what the fuck we're doing. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point, man. Good point. Uh, so Tim going to, uh, this is the second segment of podcasts, what I call the fast five. So these are the same five questions I ask all my guests. Are you ready? Send it. All right. So first question, what's one hobby you enjoy? Uh, you know, I like doing creative things. So it's not necessarily one particular hobby. I think it is the hobby of being creative. So I like to paint. I like to draw. I like to do illustrations. I like to write. Um, you know, right now I'm uh, teaching 
my daughter and uh, a couple other people in the family how to do uh, oil painting. Newsflash, I don't know how to do oil painting. <laughs> there you go. Start from somewhere. Right? But you got to start from somewhere. Yeah. And you know, I've watched enough Bob Ross to say, uh, I could probably put some oil on some canvas, but I don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but that's it, you know, and it, you know, so I like doing creative things because, you know, uh, for the longest time, as long as I can remember down to, you know, my earliest memories, you know, I've, I've, I've always had something like I've had to get put something, I have to draw it or I have to color it or I have to I have to express it through some sort of art like that. I've, I've got paintings back from. Well, my mother is saved, you know, back to when I was four years old, right? Wow. Uh, and, I, and I've been, you know, creating all this stuff. And I've just kind of really been attached to that all my life. And it's just been a great outlet for me. That's awesome. You got some, like, going back that far. So, yeah. Um, same question, Tim. If you had one, if you had to choose one person to hang out with for one day, who would it be and why? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't want to come off sounding sounding narcissistic or anything like that but i would i would honestly like to meet myself from the future just to see how it all turns out just to see how how you how uh, how everything's going in the future right i want i want i want 80 year old tim to look at 40 year old tim and be like dude like you're you're freaking out about nothing <laughs> <laughs> that'd be an interesting conversation I think. yeah totally Totally. Um, all right, Tim, next question. Recommend a book for our audience to read. Oh, man. I think I struggle. I struggle with this one because I don't really, I'm not a reader, right? And I don't listen to, to books. Um, I don't even remember. I think you, you had a violent but true. Oh, Yeah. Violent but True Bedtime Stories, the book. If you know anything about Violent but True Bedtime Stories that I do over there at Gruntstyle and Gruntstyle.com, you're going to love the book because it's fantastic. And the first one is done on, uh, this is a total sales pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Violent uh, but True Bedtime Stories. Yeah, the first one is done on Master Sergeant Roy Benavidez. Uh, If you have never read his story on how he uh, was awarded the Medal of Honor, my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, you want to talk about the most rawest mm. story that you can ever read in true Americanism. You're talking about a man that's listening to his team get slaughtered over the radio in, in freaking Laos on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, gets on a helicopter, gets somebody to take him on a helicopter into a hot LZ. The man's carrying nothing but a Bowie knife and his medical bag to recover and get his 12 uh, Greenbury and Arvin uh, men out of conflict and back to the FOB after sustaining heavy injuries. My God, ladies and gentlemen, you have to read this story. If it's not if it's not Violent But True Bedtime Stories, the book at grunstyle.com, pick up, Google it, Wikipedia it. You have to because I'm telling you, Master Sergeant uh, Roy Benavides is the story of, of, of our spirit of what America truly is and, and why we will always put ourselves in harm's way. Yeah, that's just a crazy when I first read <laughs> crazy story. Um, all right, uh, Tim, what's what's your favorite quote and why? Oh man, man, I feel like I've, <laughs> I'm having a brain fart on all this. Um, my favorite quote and why? Um, what did I write? oh so you mentioned only the sith oh only the sith deal in absolutes that's right yeah i i love that quote by obi-wan kenobi uh in star wars 3 uh uh, because it's true like there's the there should be no such thing as absolutes right even gravity is a concept it's not absolute (laughs) only the only the sith deal in absolutes um all right 10 final question where do you see yourself in five years or even 10 years from now uh that's a more easy that's an easier one um you know hopefully in 10 years i will have uh, a significant amount of cattle and a couple horses 
and I'm living the simple life of a rancher, right? Because I just want to just want to tend some cows, man. Just <laughs> hang out with the, in the farm or have the cows. Yeah, just have a little have a little ranch uh, out here in the, the the hills of Texas. Raise some prime rib. <laughs> <laughs> raise some raise some cattle and uh, enjoy the day. There you awesome, go, man. Hey, hey uh, Tim, man, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you and hearing more about your story and and uh, you know your uh, your time with Gwen Style and and the future and what's 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 going on. Um, you know, one final thing, Tim, where can our audience, where can they follow you and where can they support you? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think I would say if you guys are interested in what we're doing with the, the Grunt Style and our community and our, uh, the Grunt Style Foundation, uh, please check out gruntstylefoundation.org. There's an incredible uh, site there with a, a great amount of information that you can uh, research and see exactly what we're doing with our programs, what we're doing with our deployments. Uh, there's opportunities that you can donate and put your money into these uh, programs and deployments. I, would I will tell you that we have the most professional team of outstanding veterans that are doing this great work, putting on these programs and taking these deployments across the United States. Uh, we'll be here in San, uh, San Antonio uh, in June, and then we'll be in Fort Gordon uh, later this year around September, October. Um, so, you know, we'd love for any donations there. Uh, you check out gruntstyle.com for all things gruntstyle and what we're doing uh, there. And you can check us out on our social media pages. And if you want to follow just this lonely little dude, you can go to Gruntstyle First Sergeant 1SG, Gruntstyle 1SG on all social platforms. <laughs> all right, guys, make sure you guys uh, go follow and uh, check out Gruntstyle 1SG, Gruntstyle yes, First Sergeant. And uh, obviously, GruntStyle, go GruntStyle.com and uh, the social media handles, GruntStyle. Tim, man, it's been a pleasure. Uh, again, thank you for your time, and uh, hopefully I'll talk to you soon. I'll, hopefully I'll see you soon in San Antonio, bro. You got it, my friend. Thank you for the time, and you know, thank you for the great conversation. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Take care. Yeah. Hey everyone, Raiden here. I just want to thank you for listening to our podcast. And make sure you guys go check out our website, fortist-fidelis.com. Again, that's fortist-fidelis.com. And learn how you can help us support in providing these memorial coins to the families of the fallen. And make sure you guys go follow our social media on Facebook, FRTS, FDLS. Again, that's FRTS, FDLS. And on Instagram and Twitter at FRTS underscore FDLS. Again, that's FRTS underscore FDLS. And make sure you guys go subscribe, review, and leave a comment on our podcast on all the podcast platforms. Till then, take care.